Welcome to Chapel of the Lake in Lake St. Louis, Missouri. The Chapel family is a multi-generational community of believers who gather weekly to worship and explore God's Word as we grow in our relationship with Jesus Christ. Join us now as Pastor Keith Spa opens the Scriptures. Well, good morning, Chapel family. Wonderful blessing it is to be in the Lord's house today in a warm place with warm people and uh, to sing, wow, you guys sing good and well. I'm not sure which the right word is for that, whether it's good or well, but you do both. And uh, it was just thrilling my heart to hear you sing your praises to the Lord. To the Lord God Almighty, the one who we read about there in Psalm 29, as we were reading who flashes, flashes forth flames of fire. Did you get that line? I like that. I kind of stumbled over it a little bit and made me go back and take a second look. We have an awesome God, and he gives us the privilege not only of coming and worshiping him, but as we'll see a little bit later in, in our study, where he has brought us into his kingdom, made us citizens, and made us He's brought us into his family, made us his children. What a great God and a good God that we have. Let's go to him in prayer as we begin our study this morning. Father, we are so blessed to be here. To have, yes, uh, a warm room. To have cushions in our seats. To have brothers and sisters here together with us. Yet that is not what makes this time special. It's special because we're here with you. We gather this day with millions of our brothers and sisters around the world, many of them not in places that are comfortable, many even in places that aren't safe. And so we join with them with eagerness and with enthusiasm coming before before your throne because you are the good and the great God. We want to honor you and give you the honor that is due your name. We also want to hear from you. That is why we open your word now. We ask that you would teach us, work through the the lips of a of a stammering and pot, uh, stammering lips and a cracked pot that speaks. But Father, may it be the power of your word that resonates in us. And may we not only hear it, but may we put it into practice. May you use it to change us, shape us more like Jesus. So we ask your blessing on these moments. Together in your word, we ask your blessing on these folks and on those who are watching from home. We ask your great blessing on them. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. You know, it's been said that uh, we can learn a lot from a goose. Most of us are rather familiar with a sight that I saw just yesterday as I was driving on my way to pick up a pizza. I looked up and I saw some geese flying in, the, in formation, as they do flying in a V formation. Actually, two different groups of them. Are they groups or flocks or... Uh, herds, I guess it's gaggles, isn't it? Gaggles of geese. And studies have shown that helped us understand why they fly like this. Uh, Of course, I knew the answer before they do studies. It's because God made them to do that, but that's a different story. They've learned in uh, in their studies that when a goose flaps his wings, that it creates, as it were, uh, an uplift for the, the goose that follows behind them, either to their right or to their left. And so by flying in a V formation, they've discovered that these geese can fly with some 70% greater flying range than a goose has flying on their own. That's how much of a difference it makes. When a goose flies out of formation, they say that very quickly they move back into formation because they very quickly feel the drag and the resistance of flying solo. 
The farther back that a goose gets in the formation, they say the more that it benefits, that it helps that goose in flying. So the one in the back gets the best, the best ride. And when the lead goose gets tired, they just rotate back to the back and another goose quickly steps up and takes their place flying point. And they say that the geese in the back of the gaggle, that they honk to encourage those in front to keep going. We can learn a lot from geese. They say that if a goose gets sick or gets injured, maybe by a hunter or whatever, but they, while they're flying, that, that two geese will pull out of formation and follow the injured or sick goose to the ground. And there they will stay with that goose and protect that goose and watch over the goose until either it recovers enough to fly or till it dies. And then they will take off again as their own little gaggle and very often will pair up with another, if they see another formation of geese, they'll pair up with them as they make their way to try to catch up to their own group. You know, God built some marvelous instincts into these geese. These marvelous creatures have an appreciation of the value of community. And they have an amazing commitment and loyalty to that group, that gaggle of geese. And I thought about that as I come here to our study this morning because Jesus in his grace, has not left us alone to live as his followers. But he has put his Holy Spirit into us and he has placed us as believers into a community of believers, into the church. Sadly, we are in a day, in a culture, in a time where Very many Christians see little to no value in the church. And as we noted a couple of weeks ago, that over half of those who identify as evangelical Christians, that they say that they are trusting in Jesus Christ as their Savior, they've been born again, they believe the Bible to be the Word of God, Over half of them rarely to never attend church. I find that shocking. And hopefully you do too in light of what we discover here in the Word of God. So today we're halfway through, if you're just joining us this morning, haven't been around the last couple of weeks, we're halfway through a four-week study looking at the church, aiming to elevate, to raise our view and our value of the church. Two weeks ago, we saw in Matthew chapter 16 that Jesus said, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. It will be victorious. It will, the, the church will prevail. Jesus will build his church, his called out one is what that word church or ecclesia means. We discovered that it's a universal church, one that is comprised of, of every believer from all ages and all places. Every believer in Jesus Christ, whether in that very first church when the church was born and Pentecost back there in Acts chapter 2, up until today, And whether it's here in the Chapel of the Lake or whether it's in a church on Paradise Island with our our missionary partner John or anywhere in the world, those who are believers in Jesus Christ are members of the universal church that Jesus described there. But then we also saw in Matthew chapter 18 that Jesus expected that his followers would gather and be committed to local assemblies of believers, which the New Testament goes on also to 
describe or to name as churches or the church. And so the church is both universal and it is local. Last week we looked in the book of Ephesians at the first of several word pictures, illustrations that Paul uses to try to give us an idea of what the church is. The church was something new and it is something wonderful and is something big and glorious and no one single description, no one single thing can tell us what the church is like. And so he uses multiple pictures here in the book of Ephesians, and we're looking at three of them. Actually, this morning we're going to look at three different ones, but only one in depth. Pictures of the church that help us to understand this marvelous thing that Jesus has put us in called the church. Today we're going to be in Ephesians chapter 2, and if you have a Bible, I hope that you'll open it and turn there so you can see it in front of you. Ephesians chapter 2 in verses 19 to 21. And the picture we will see of the church is the church as a building. Beginning in verse 19, let me just read. He says, So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. As we begin, Paul gives us a reminder that before we were saved, we were a mess. If we back up a few verses, and we won't go there and spend much time, but as we back up to verse 12, it tells us that we were separated from God, alienated from a covenant relationship with him. He says there in verse 12, we were without God and without hope. In the world, sin is the great divider, sin and its selfishness. Sin broke our relationship with God, and sin breaks our relationships with one another. So we are in a mess. God, however, in his great love and in his mercy, sent Jesus Through Jesus' death and through Jesus' resurrection, Jesus paid the cost of our sins. He has rescued us from the penalty of our sins. He has given to us eternal life. He's given to us as well new life. And he has reconciled us into relationship with God. We don't deserve it. And there's not a thing we can do to earn it. We can only receive it as a gift from God. And it's a gift that God gives generously to anyone who will place their faith and trust in Jesus Christ as their Savior. I urge you, if you have not put your faith in Him, that you do so today. And Whether you're here this morning or watching online, if you need to talk to someone about that, I would love to do that. I'd be honored to do that as would most of the folks here, anyone who's up on platform. I know you can just catch us after the service and we'll sit down and talk with you about how you can have a relationship with Jesus, have a relationship with God by trusting Jesus. When someone puts their faith and trust in Jesus Christ, they become a part, immediately they become a part of his church, his church universal We who were once alienated from God, he's saying here in these verses before this, we are brought near, actually in in verse 13, he says, but now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. We've been brought near to God. We've been reconciled in relationship to him. But also we discover here in this text that we have been brought near to other believers. We have new connections with those who are believers in Jesus Christ. Even with those who were formerly our enemies. As Paul explains in the verses before this, He names specifically, speaks specifically about Jews and Gentiles who were as far apart as you could get. And he says, in Christ, 
We who were formerly at odds with each other, formerly enemies in Christ, as believers in Him, we have been brought together, reconciled not only in relationship with God, but reconciled in relationship to one another. As he says in verse 14, the next verse, For he himself is our peace, Jesus is our peace, who has made us both one, both Jew and Gentile, and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility. Jesus has brought us together as Jews and Gentiles, and as any other barrier between us has been broken down when we become believers in Christ. So that, as we come here to verse 19, what we read a minute ago, so then you are no longer strangers and aliens, verse 19, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. So he says at one time, yes, we were strangers and aliens when it came to our relationship with God. We are, matter of fact, the scripture says we are at enmity with him. And through Christ, we've been reconciled to God. But it's also worth noting that as we were separated from Christ, it says we were says we were aliens, we were foreigners, we were distant from him. We were made citizens of his kingdom. Isn't that cool? Not only did did, did God see fit to deal with our sin so we don't face the penalty of our sin, we are no longer destined from for hell. And he has given to us new life, and he has given to us eternal life. That is all amazing grace and good stuff. But he says that he wasn't content with that. He made us citizens of his kingdom. That is a great privilege to be a citizen of a kingdom. It's a great privilege to be a citizen of a great nation. We are citizens of a great nation here in our country. In Paul's day, as he wrote this, everybody wanted to be a Roman citizen. And most of the folks who lived in the, in the Roman Empire weren't citizens of Rome. How much greater to be a citizen of heaven. But I realized that as, we, as he says, as we were strangers and aliens and we were made citizens, but I note that we are now fellow citizens, he says. We are now citizens with other people who also used to be aliens and foreigners, many of whom, as in the case of the Jews and Gentiles, were enemies with each other. In the process, you see, he's made new connections here in the body of Christ, where now your former enemy is now a fellow citizen of God's kingdom. And those who were strangers, he says, God not only made us as strangers, citizens of his kingdom, but he made us, it says, members of his household. That word household can be the word family, members of his family. You know, it's one thing to be a a neighbor of somebody, to be a fellow citizen. It's a whole other thing to bring them in your house and to make them family. By the way, there's only two ways to become a member of a family. You can be born into a family or adopted into a family, and the Bible says we've been both. Through Jesus Christ, we've had a new birth into God's family. We've also been adopted as sons of God. But I realized that not only were we members of God's household, we become members together in God's household with folks who are also strangers, folks who we were maybe at odds with, and now they are part of our family. You see... This new life that we have in Jesus binds us eternally with all other believers in Jesus as fellow citizens and members of his house. And so because of your shared citizenship in heaven, you have a greater connection to a believer in communist China or in North Korea than you have with your next door neighbor who belongs to the same political party that you do, whatever that is. You and I have more in common ultimately with a believing widow 
in some slum of some third world city than we have with our unbelieving physical family members because we are family members, common family members in the household of God. And so it is, those of you that have traveled out of country and met believers in other places where you can barely share any words in in some common language, you discover there is a bond that is rich and deep and close. What a wonderful thing heaven will be as we discover all the brothers and sisters that we have never met yet. The point is, though, that because of our connection in Christ, all the barriers are broken down. There is equality of standing before God so that none of us is higher and greater than another. We all come bowing at the feet of Jesus, recipients of his grace. And what a wonderful thing that is. There are deep bonds in Christ. What a shocking thing it was in the early church in those days as the, as the church began to spread through the Roman Empire. And in the churches, what, what happened was that, that people came to faith in Christ and these churches had, had in them, there were, there were Jews and there were Gentiles. Those groups don't get along. And there were male and female And there were rich and there were poor. And there were slaves and there were free men and even slave owners. The barriers were broken down and in the church they were on equal terms. And as one first century observer said, looking at the church, my, how they love one another. It was a shocking thing in those days. May I say that because Jesus is bringing people still today from every socioeconomic strata, from every race, from every nationality, from every tongue and tribe and nation, as the scripture says, it will be before the throne of God, so it should be in the church today. There should be a shocking bond of unity and equality, and love in our churches today. Not just among the people who are like us. (laughs) Not just the people who look like us, talk like us, dress like us, think like us, vote like us. (laughs) The walls between every true believer in Jesus Christ have been broken down, and we are brothers and sisters and fellow citizens. New connections. Well, verse 20, Paul begins actually this. And by the way, there were two, two pictures there of what the church is. There was the household and there was the kingdom. But the one we're focusing on this morning is what begins here in verse 20 as Paul begins to shift the, the word picture about the church to the picture of a building. Verse 19, he says that we are no longer strangers and aliens, but we're fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone. In this verse we see here before us the foundation of this building. After Jesus ascended to heaven, it was the apostles and it was the prophets who proclaimed the truth of Jesus. It was through them that the Holy Spirit worked to provide for us the written word of God. But until we had the written word of God in those first few decades of the church, it was the apostles and the prophets who taught and who spoke And their teaching through the Holy Spirit has been given to us here. So in a sense, Paul is saying that they laid the foundation of the church because it was their teaching. But it was, as he goes on to say, while they in that sense were the foundation, it was Jesus Christ himself who is the the cornerstone. 
Our faith rests upon Christ and upon what we know of Christ, which is what we have learned through the Word of God. The cornerstone, and we don't build so much with those today, but in that day, every building began with a cornerstone. It was the uh, every significant building. It was the first and most important stone that was laid in the foundation. It had to be large and strong enough to support the superstructure that was going to be built upon it. It had to be perfectly shaped and perfectly set because every other part of the structure would be oriented, would be set up to line up with the angles and with the, the placement of that stone. If it wasn't placed right, the building wouldn't be right. And he says that Jesus is to the church what the cornerstone was to a building. The New Bible Commentary describes it this way, that all is built on Christ, all is supported by Christ, and the shape of the continuing building is determined by Christ the cornerstone. Jesus Christ is the central and foundational member of the church. And so it is when a church diminishes the person or the work of Christ, that is no longer a true church. When they start denying who Jesus is or what he did, they're no longer a true church. It's also should be said that when a church moves away from Jesus at the foundation and Jesus at the core and Jesus in the focus when they get their focus on programs, when they get their focus on, on, um, you know, on projects, when they get their focus on buildings, when they get their focus on money, when they get their focus on even doing good things and promoting good causes, and they get their focus off of Jesus, that church is going to go wrong going to get out of whack, out of line. We need to keep Jesus at the center and at the core, at the foundation and in our vision and our purpose or we will get out of line. And how do we do that? It's easy to say that. We keep Jesus at the focus. We have Jesus at the foundation. Jesus is our aspiration. He is our aim, our goal. It's easy to say that, but how do you do that? There's lots of people and lots of groups out there that use the name of Jesus all the time, and they say a lot of contradictory things and very often a lot of very weird things. How do we in this world know what's right? Well, it's where you go to the truth that Jesus left us through the apostles and the prophets. It's here. It's in the Word of God. We follow His instructions here, what He has delivered to us. Therefore, it is vital for us as Jesus' church to study His Word carefully. It is vital for us as Jesus' church to teach His Word clearly. It's vital for us to follow His Word closely. That is our aim here in this church. We want to learn God's word well and study it carefully. We want to teach it clearly and we want to follow it closely. Verse 21 of chapter 2. In whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him also you are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. In these two verses, we get here the structure of the church. What's being built? Who's building it? Well, the builder, he says, is in whom, in him, it takes us back to the verse before, obviously it's talking about Jesus Christ. Christ Jesus is the builder. He's the central foundation, but he's also the builder. Again, as Jesus said, I will build my church. He's the one who's going to make sure that it gets done. 
Another thing we see here is we see the building materials. What are the parts of the building? What's making up? What's this building going to be made of? What we'll discover is we're the parts of the building. It's talking about us. We're the parts. And it doesn't, it doesn't actually use the term here. But the building that's being built is a building made with stones. The cornerstone is for a stone building. And while he doesn't use the word stones here, Peter does when he talks about building a church. He talks about that we're stones. And as I was thinking about this building of a, it's a, the illustration of this building of a stone church. Actually, we'll go on and we'll find it's a, it's a temple. This building is being built out of stones. And I was thinking about, so you and I are the stones. We're rocks. We're rocky. We're dense. Now I get it. <laughs> That's why he's called the stones. But I thought about, you know, you go out in my backyard and there's stones. And I realized that a stone just sitting there doesn't amount to much, does it? It's only when you put that stone together with hundreds and hundreds of thousands and millions of other stones and you build this great building that Jesus is building that the stones matter. And I also realize when you look at a building that's made out of brick or made out of stone and you look at it and you realize that there's a bunch of missing stones, you realize you got a building with a problem. And as I thought about that, as he says that Jesus is building here with us and we're the materials and we're stones, and I realize that we need the church. See, again, part of our purpose here in this study is to recognize why do we need the church? Why is the church important in an age when so many Christians say it doesn't matter at all? One reason the church is important is because we need the church because without the church, we're just a stone laying on the ground. In the church, we got a purpose. Have you ever looked at a big brick wall and a brick is missing? You know how quickly you notice the brick is missing? Real quick. Stands out. So it is with us. Every stone is important. It's very quick to notice when one is missing. We think it doesn't matter if we're not part of the church. And Jesus is saying, yes, it does. You're my building materials. As I build my church... He says here, the whole structure. There's lots of parts and pieces to a building. But each part is important. We need the church, and the church needs us. It's important. Another thing I notice about this is he says, the whole structure being joined together. And I don't think that word joined communicates as well to us as probably it ought I think it's the New American Standard which translates that as fitted, being fitted together. And that gets it better because it's the work of a a craftsman. It's the work of an artisan who is not just taking... Well, when we build things today, we generally, if we're going to use something other than, than wood, we're generally using brick. Brick is, you know, usually clay or something that's put into a mold... And then it's molded and then popped out and, and then baked. And, and bricks are uniform and bricks are mass produced and they're all alike. Stones are different. Building with stones, because you see, stones come from a quarry. They're cut from a quarry. And stones need a master craftsman who cuts the stone and then it takes a master fitter who who fine-tunes the stones so that they fit exactly in the right place because everyone is unique. And so it is in the church of Jesus Christ. Every stone is different. I look out there and every one of you is different. Some of you are really different. And... uh <laughs> Even if you were twins, and we've had numbers of them over the years here, even with twins, there are differences. No two people are exactly the same. And no, no two stones in Jesus' church are exactly the same. 
And Jesus has designed it that way. He's building his church with unique parts, with unique people, with a unique place, and with a unique purpose. Sometimes people walk into a church and they say, Ooh, I don't think I'm like any of the people here. Maybe I ought to go somewhere else. And I think that's when Jesus would probably whisper in your ear and say, Well, maybe that's why I brought you here. Because you're different. And I've got a special place for you. See, I I like the old saying, if two of us are the same, one of us is unnecessary. I think one of the great tragedies of our time in our culture is that we are producing lots and lots of churches in our day, many times quite intentionally, where we aim for a particular demographic and a certain group of folks. So we're going to have a church that is all young people. We're going to have a church that's all old people. We're going to have a church that's all of this race. We're going to have a church that's all of this language. We're going to have a church that's all golfers. <laughs> you know, We're going to have the cowboy church. We're all cowboys. And I can see and I understand why we like that, because we like to be with people who are just like us. Well, not too much like us, because then we discover that, oh, they're hard to get along with, which should tell us something. But, but you notice, we like folks who are kind of, kind of like us. But that is not the way that Jesus designed the church. Matter of fact, as we noted, he's bringing into his church people who are very different, and sometimes those who are enemies like Jews and Gentiles. Maybe Jesus did that on purpose. Because if Jesus has brought you into church, not only does he have a place for you, he has a unique work for you. Earlier in Ephesians, it says, Ephesians 2.10, For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Before we were ever born, before we were ever became a believer in Jesus and became part of the church, God knew what was going to happen and he designed us and created works for us to do and designed us to do those works uniquely. What a wonderful thing it is that you're here this morning and you're different. We need you here. You know, Stones are nice, but every once in a while we need a window. We need some doors. We need hinges. Another thing we learn here, not only the, structure, the foundation and the structure, in the structure we, we learn not only the builder is Jesus, the parts are us, but we discover something. When we look at the verbs here, notice with me the verbs. It says that we are being joined together there in verse 21, that we, it grows, and in verse 22, that we are being built. Those are all present that tells me something that tells me that this work that Jesus is doing in building his church is a ongoing process it's not something that he will do one day it's something that he's doing now that he has been doing from the beginning and it's not going to be finished this church that Jesus is building began back with in on Pentecost in the book of Acts chapter 2. It began then. It's not going to be complete until Jesus returns. Until then, it's something that he's doing. It's a work in process. Several things to realize about that. First, I notice he uses that word. It's a unique thing to say. We're being joined, and he says... That we, we grows into. That's an interesting word to use because I've been around a lot of building projects and I've never seen a building grow. I've seen buildings built, but I've never seen one grow. Paul is mixing his metaphors there to get us a little tension because if we're stones being built into this church, what's he talking about growing? Stones don't grow. No, but we do. 
We are not just any old stone. We're like what Peter talks about. I mentioned he talks about stones. Peter says this, you yourselves like living stones are being built into a spiritual house. We're not just any stones. We're living stones. And as living stones, we're in a process of growing. What are we growing into? What he says next He says we are growing into a holy temple. I don't know why over half of Christians aren't in church, why they're not connected to and involved in the local church. I don't know all their reasons, but I have a feeling an awful lot of them would say something like this. Well, I used to go to church back when. But there was this person or these people that hurt me terribly. They said this, they did this. Or there were these people who sinned. These people I really looked up to and I respected and they really flamed out badly. Back when I lived in Dallas many years ago, one of my neighbors, a man named Huddy, Really nice guy I got to know through my high school years and college years. And I was sitting down to talk to him about, about Jesus one day. His wife I knew from church, actually. And she was a dear Christian lady. And I was talking to Huddy and I said, what, you know, what's, what do you think about Jesus? He professed to be a Christian, a believer in Jesus. I said, well, then why don't you go to church? Come on, Huddy, why don't you go with me? He said, I quit. Back, he said, years ago, there was this pastor that he really looked up to and admired and appreciated. And that pastor fell into grievous sin. And Huddy walked away from the church, disillusioned, disappointed. And he said, as probably you've heard many people say, the church is full of hypocrites. And you know what? It is. As your pastor, I can stand in front of you and say the church is full of hypocrites. Even this church. Because I know a lot of our stories. (laughs) Really? Yeah. Sadly, it is. But I agree with Augustine. Way back when, he described the church this way. He said, the church is a hospital for sinners. And he said, it would be strange for someone to criticize a hospital because it was full of sick people. If they did, they missed the point of what a hospital is. So is the church. It's a hospital for sick people. We're saved, but we're still sick. So I will never forget, 30, 40 years ago, Jim Kane, one of former pastors here at the chapel, he used to say, if you let a hypocrite stand between you and God, who's closer? His point was, never let a sinner keep you from God. Never let them stand in the way. Yes, Christians are going to sin. They're going to blow it. Some of them big time. Sometimes people we wouldn't expect. But don't let that keep you from Christ. And don't let that keep you from the church. We need to adjust our expectations because the church is growing into a holy temple. Notice that. It doesn't say it is one yet. It's growing into one. And we aren't one yet. In the church, we're not to excuse sin. We're not to ignore sin. But we shouldn't think that nobody's going to sin. Because they will. People in the church will fail because the stones are still in progress of growing. Interesting. Have you ever been to a construction site? Anybody? Have you ever noticed that they're a mess? 
You walk into a construction site and there's ladders everywhere. There's tarps everywhere. There's dirt and dust everywhere. There's broken things everywhere. There's scraps of material everywhere. There's paint splatters everywhere. It's an absolute mess. May I say that's what the church is. It's a construction site. But we tend to go to church thinking it's going to be, you know, a showroom or a, a model display, you know, for a model house that's all cutesy and finished and beautiful and decorated and, and woo, perfect. Nobody's house looks like a model home. <laughs> and the church isn't. It's a construction site. Because it's full of imperfect people. But we, we are living stones who are growing into a holy temple. Isn't that encouraging? Another thing to notice, though, is very important here. I notice that this growing, this growth, is happening in the midst of community. It's happening in the interacting of these living stones as they are being joined together, fitted together, And you see, the problem is we come here and we're these stones with all these little things that don't belong. We've got this sinful habit over here and this, this, you know, wrong thing over here and this mess here. And we come with all these things that need to be cut off and knocked off and shaven off and cleaned off so we can fit where we need to go. And the process that normally happens in a in this type of building, was you had the guy there with the hammer and the chisel who's the workman who's doing that. Well, I think Jesus is saying here that, yeah, he's at work doing that, but very often he does it through the other stones. Like in a, have you ever seen a stone polisher? You ever polish stones? It's a little cylinder and has a little door on it. And you open this door up and you drop some rocks in there, some ugly old rocks all jagged and everything else. You close the door, put in a little bit of water, close the door. It, it goes on this machine where it's, it just starts turning it. And it turns and you just walk away. And you come back uh, a few days or weeks later and you open up the door and what you got in there are beautiful stones that have been ground down and polished down and rounded down and they're absolutely beautiful. That's what God wants to do in church. Take imperfect people like us and put us together where we bump into each other. And sometimes we're going to, you know, we're going to rub shoulders with really godly people who are living exemplary godly lives and they encourage us, inspire us, and set an example. We say, I should be like that. And we start to be like that. But other times we bump into somebody who, well, isn't having a good godly day and they do something really wrong and they offend us and hurt us. And, we go, ah! <laughs> and sometimes we just rub shoulders with somebody that exposes our own sin and our own rough edges and And uh, in the process, God begins to purify and cleanse and shape us and make us more like Jesus. By the way, that's what God wants to do in our marriages too, just in case you didn't know that. Puts two sinners together under one roof so that we polish each other as we bump into each other. Hmm. That was free. It wasn't in my notes. I just thought of it. Lastly, and I'll end with this, we see here the product. The product is a temple, a dwelling place for God. Ultimately, this temple won't be finished, it won't be complete until we see him face to face and we enjoy his presence forever. That's the finishing of this temple. In the meantime, we are still his temple. 1 Corinthians chapter 6 tells us this, Or do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? Every one of us individually is a temple because God's Holy Spirit lives inside of us. But as we also saw a couple of weeks ago, Jesus said in in Matthew chapter 18, he said this, for where two or three of us as believers are gathered in my name. There I am among them. Because we have the Spirit of Jesus Christ living in us, the Holy Spirit in us, when we gather together corporately, there is something, a unique and special way that the presence of Christ is here with us, among us. And so again, why does it matter 
that we gather as the church because we are a temple. We have the Spirit of God in us. And there is something unique and wonderful and marvelous and special that happens when we come together. That doesn't happen when we just say, I'm just my own unique individual little temple over here. Fine, thank you. I don't need to to go to church. He says, no, there's something that happens marvelously when we come together. And Jesus meets us here in a special way. And here he does a work in us and he does a work among us as corporately we worship together. As corporately we hear from his word as it's read and as it's taught and as we interact with one another as living stones. In the process, Jesus grows us and he shapes us to be more like him. He gets us ready to be fitted in just the right place for that final fitting, in the final putting together of the temple. That together, until then, we are a temple, not perfect, but we're a temple to reflect the goodness and the glory of our God in this world. We're just a little, a little glimpse of what the temple is going to be eventually as what we are right now. We're just a little glimpse of it. Isn't that a cool thing? That's why church matters. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. We needed to hear it. We need to be encouraged. We need to be reminded. We need to remember how important it is that we are connecting with other believers and that, that we are as well, they are connected with us. We need one another. Father, may we never take the church for granted, the church universal and the church local. Father, how thankful we are, how thankful I am for these folks here, how thankful we are for one another here in this church, and how we ask your blessing upon the chapel of the lake. Father, may we together be the encouragers and the builders and the strengtheners and the workers that help to grow and build one another so that we might become and that we might be and that we might do all that you have designed us to be so that Jesus is honored, so that his work is done, and as well so that we are made to be like him. So we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. May God bless you as you grow in your walk with him this week.